forever. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for Jesus and the fact that now, right now as we sit here, death cannot hold us down because of what Jesus did on the cross. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, well, listen, let me set it up like this. We were, uh, I was actually in Anderson, South Carolina this week visiting a friend of mine who is also a pastor. I go up and, and just pick his brain on things. They have a much, much larger church than we do, so he's able to give me a lot of wisdom and advice. And we're sitting in his office having a good conversation um, just about life and about God and about ministry. And then the conversation, as it typically does with guys, shifts to sports. And I noticed he had a picture of the masters hanging on his wall. And so we started talking about the Masters, and he's like, you know, I really um, wish I was going this year. I usually go every year. I don't get to go ever, um, or, or I don't get to go this year. We have Easter services going on during the week, and so I won't be able to go. And, and first, my first thought was, sorry, I mean, I don't get to go ever, so... Um, What's your point? And so anyway, we talked about that. We walk out in the hall. I see another guy that's on their staff who um, I began to have a conversation with. In the meantime, the guy, Jason, who I was up there to meet with, gets on his cell phone and he's talking to somebody on his phone. Um, he hangs up the phone. He's like, sweet. I'm like what? He's like, I just got tickets to the master's. I'm like, again, I don't care. I mean, I don't get to go. So um, he's like, I get to go. And then he looks at me. And he goes, do you want to go? I'm like, nah, I don't care anything about it. No, I'm like, yeah, why did you even ask? Why don't you just say, like, we're meeting in Augusta? Like, give me a time, give me a place, I'm going to be there. And so Friday morning, I got to drive to Augusta, Georgia, and I got to go to the Masters. And a lot of y'all are sitting there like, I didn't get to go, so who cares? And I understand that. But I got to go to the Masters, and I'd heard so much about it. Have you ever had anything built up in your mind that's so big and so awesome in your mind that when you get there, it's disappointing? It wasn't like that with Augusta. It was awesome. I like from the time I pull in, the people are parking us. They're, they're doing all this. It actually reminded me a little bit of coming to church. And so they're parking us. They're like waving us in. Everybody's nice. I'm like, what did they give these people to be so nice? And so we're, we're walking in. It's like walking into Disney. You're walking through all these these turnstile type things and they're scanning your tickets and, 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 you know, and everybody's there and they've thought of everything. I mean, it's like, it's, just, it's immaculate. It looks, it's cleaner than my living room. I promise it is absolutely awesome. Um, when you walk in there and you see it, and this is the thing I thought the whole day I walked around, I mean, I, I couldn't even say anything because everywhere I turned, there was something bigger and, 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 and greener and, and more incredible. Everywhere I turned, this place is like full of thousands of pine trees. And I think I saw three pine cones on the ground. Like, who picks those up? It's like they got people waiting to catch them when they fall because they, they weren't there. And here's the thing. When I left there, my expectations had been exceeded. Like, I didn't go in there. And when, when I saw it and, and, I, and I'd heard so much about it, I didn't walk in there and walk out and go, golly, that was terrible. In other words, I did not walk out disillusioned. I did not walk out frustrated because I did not get what I'd been promised. But you know what? Here's the deal, guys. I think a lot of people in the world feel that way about the church. That we promise all that, that we, we have the cure, that we have the answer to life, that we, that we know the answer. But when people walk in the doors, they walk out more disillusioned and frustrated. And here's the thing I want to do today. Listen, I want to start out with some reasons I feel like the church has become disillusioned. But then I want to bring it back to why we do what we do on Sunday. Like, why are we here? 
Think about it. Why are we really here? Are we here because we got a new, new shirt and we wanted to wear it? My wife got a new shirt. Amen. <laughs> Best part, I didn't have to pay for it. Mm, yes. So is that why we're here? Why are we here on Easter Sunday? And, and we're going to get to that towards the end of this message, the real reason why we're here. But listen, I want us to talk about a little, a little bit about why I believe people walk into the church and then walk back out disillusioned. The first one that we're going to talk about is right here in verses 1 through 3 of Matthew 23. And Jesus says that in, in verse 3, as he's teaching his disciples about the leaders and the religious leaders of that day and the Jews of that day, he says, you must obey them and do everything they tell you, but do not do what they do for they Do not practice what they preach. The first thing I want to tell you about this disillusionment is I believe that people are disillusioned because we've operated by this very same motto. Do what we say and not what we do. Do what we say and not what we do. The other day, um, I was talking to a friend of mine, and and he was like, you know, and we were talking about just some things that had come up in the church, and he was like, you know, it's kind of like in that movie Josie Wales, Outlaw Josie Wales. And I was like, never seen it. He's like, you haven't seen it? He looked at me like I wasn't American because I haven't seen the outlaw Josie Wells. And he's like, you've got to see that movie. You've got to check it out. And he said, there's this one part where this Indian looks at Clint, um, Clint Eastwood and he's like, listen. And, and he goes, endeavor to persevere. Anybody remember that? You seen the movie? Endeavor to persevere. And he was telling me like, you know, whenever something comes up and, and it's, you're going through something difficult, just think about that ending. It'll make you smile. It'll make you laugh. And I'm like, I haven't seen it. He goes, go to YouTube, look it up, and then you, you can see it. And so the movie came on TV. So I DVR'd it, hadn't watched it yet. And I was sitting on our, my deck with, with Dake, my nine-year-old. And we're sitting there and I decided I'd YouTube it. And they could ask me, can I watch that movie on TV? I said, no, son, you don't need to watch that. And so I'm sitting there and I YouTube the thing. And he's like, well, what is it? And I said, I'm I'm looking up a clip from the outlaw Josie Wells. He's like, well, can't we watch it on TV? I said, no. And he looks at it and he goes, oh, that movie. What? He goes, yeah, that movie. I'm like, have you seen this movie? He's like, yeah, I watch it all the time with granddaddy. Oh, okay. And then he says, listen, um, I'm like, Dave, you, you don't, don't need to watch it. And he's like, but you got it recorded. It's like, yeah, I know. He's like, well, why can you watch it and me not? Which I gave him a wise answer. I said, do you want a spanking? <laughs> I will tear you up. That's why. We need to have any more conversation about this? No, but I thought about it. I'm like, we do that all the time, man. We, we tell people, do what we say, but don't do what we do. And I believe people have walked in and walked out disillusioned because we say that all the time. We preach about a God that, of forgiveness, but then we look down our nose at people when they don't have their stuff together. We preach this God of mercy, but then we stand in judgment over people. We claim that we have the cure for people's heart, but we live just like the rest of the world. And is it any wonder that people walk in and walk out disillusioned? Are we really surprised, listen, that people show up on Christmas and at Easter because, listen, we've programmed them to do that. We've taught them that it's not really about a relationship with Jesus. It's just about doing a religious duty so that you can just kind of get by. 
And as a church, this is what we do. We walk up to dead people. The Bible says that people are spiritually dead until they come to know Jesus and Jesus gives them life. And we walk up to dead people and we tell them to come to life and we yell at them. And guess what? Nothing's coming out of that casket. Why? They're dead. And listen, we can't lead somebody to life when we're just as dead as they are. Until the life of Jesus and the reality of God is real in us, nobody else will see the reality of who he is through us. We've got to come to a place where we see and people see in us the reality of who Jesus is. We're in this superhero series, and the thing I want you to understand is that Jesus is our superhero because Jesus did what we couldn't do. He gave us life. And the Bible says that that life is the light of men. That life is is the light that shines out of our hearts so that other people can see the light and come to know Christ. It's bigger than just showing up and singing a few songs. Jesus didn't die for music. Jesus didn't die for a Sunday worship service. He didn't die for a Sunday school. He didn't die for a small group. He died for us. He died so that you and I could have life. And when we come to life, other people see that life and they can walk into the church. They can bump into a Christian and they can walk away going, wow, that exceeded my expectations. Why would it exceed their expectations? Because the God of the universe who created it all and holds it all in balance is the one living in you. And he always exceeds expectations. He's God. You cannot encounter him. It's like going into Augusta National and walking out and going, that wasn't that great. You don't do that. You don't bump into the God of the universe and walk away and going, what's the big deal? We got to practice what we preach because we're in a relationship with Jesus and the light of God is flowing out of our hearts. Listen to this next verse. Verse four, it says, They tied up heavy loads and put them on men's shoulders. These are the religious people. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to remove them. The second one I would tell you is that rather than offering relief through Jesus, we've weighted people down with religion. Rather than than, than offering them relief. Listen, you can't do this, but Jesus has done it for you. Rather than offering them relief from the burdens of sin and of judgment and and of works and of law, we've just tied them down and burdened them even more. We tell them this, do this. Don't do that. Don't we? Like somebody comes to Christ and immediately we're like, well, here's your list of 942 things you can do. And here's your list of 1,963 things that you have to do. That's what we do. And, and this is the deal, guys. It would, be, it would be just like me taking some paper, which I've got up here somewhere. This paper right here. It would be like taking some paper. Got a pen. <clears throat> came prepared. It would be like me taking this paper and writing down, what does an alive person look like? What what, what does a alive person look like? Well, they breathe. We can write that down. They uh, they eat. Yeah, they eat. I like that part. Number three, let's see. see, They they, they go to work sometimes, you know, when they're old enough. Let's see, number four, um, um, I don't know, they, 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 uh, they, uh, they, they drink. 
they, what is it, whatever it is, what, what would you write down? What do alive people do? And it's like this, it'd be like for us telling people, do this, don't do that. It's like writing a description of a live person and walking over and putting it on top of a dead person and going, come on. What's wrong with you? Breathe. It's never worked. I tried it. It does not work. No, it doesn't work. We can write down what an alive person looks like. Put it on the coffin. Put it on top of the dead. It doesn't work. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't bring them to life. And as Christians, when we simply take the laws and the rules and the regulations, here's my Ten Commandments. That's pretty sharp, isn't it? It looks like there are 11 and Moses decided to take one off at the bottom. But anyway, it'd be like us taking the Ten Commandments. It's like us taking the rules and the regulations and the law and all of these things that we think people ought to adhere to, that we think people ought to do. And we walk up to spiritually dead people people and we lay it on top of them. We go, come to life. Why can't you live right? Right? Because rules and law never brought anybody to life. If they did, Jesus would not have to die. Jesus would not have had to be risen, but this does not bring anyone to life. And as Christians, we need to realize we have the message that frees people from the power of sin, from the weight of sin, from the power of death and the weight of death that can let set them free to live. We don't live the Christian life because we follow rules. We live the Christian life because Jesus lives in us. That's where it comes from. And so many times we focus on that rather than focusing on one, the one who has come to save our souls. Listen, man, we follow rules to imitate God. But the deal ought to be that we imitate God because our heart's been transformed. I want to tell you what we've turned Jesus into. We've turned Jesus into a cheerleader who cheers us on and tells us to do better and tells us to do good things and tells us not to do bad things rather than the one who saved our soul from hell. He's not a cheerleader. He's a savior. Come on, man. He died for us to give us life. He rose so that we would have the promise that we overcome the grave and we overcome death. And so here's the problem. People have been imitating and trying to imitate God for millions of years. They've been trying to fulfill God's righteous requirements and these requirements of the law for all these years. They've been trying to do these things. The only problem is we suck as God. We do. We're a terrible God. At home all the time, Jack, um, Reed, what's my little one's name? We got so many, we're, you know. Um, Reed, my little one, he's like 16 months old now. And one thing that he'll do periodically is I walk in and he's got on a pair of my shoes. Especially like my boots. He'll put my boots on. They come up to his thighs, you know. And he's, he's like trying to walk. But you know what he does? Every time he tries to fill my shoes and he tries to take a step, you know what he does? He stumbles and falls. We do the same thing when we try to play God and we try to fill his shoes. We can't fill his shoes, people. We can't do it. We stumble and we fall and we trip and we get frustrated. Why? Because we're trying to do something that we can't do. That's why Jesus had to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Jesus did for us 
what we can't do. You can't fill the shoes of God. That's why he filled them for us through his son. Listen to this next verse, verses five through seven. It says, everything they do is done for men to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogue. Listen, they love to be greeted in the marketplaces and to have men call them rabbi. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, listen, they do all this for people to see, but inside, man, there's nothing there. It's not happening. They wear the right things. They say the right things. They do the right things. But inside, man, they're, they're dead. They're empty. They're whitewashed tombs. And the third one I would tell you is that we made church, the reason people leave disillusioned, the reason they leave frustrated, the reason they wonder, why did, why, why did I go in expecting this and come out expecting this when they bump in? Why do, they, why do we not see the reality of who God is? The third one is that we made church a game of dress up. It's more about how we look on the outside rather than what's going on on the inside. It's not a game of dress up. It's about God moving in your heart. It's about God changing the very core of your being. Man, listen, if it's just about us dressing up and looking good, most of us don't even look. Let's go home. We can go hunt Easter eggs. It's about the God of the universe transforming our hearts. And I want you to understand it's bigger than a worship service. It's bigger than having to just read your Bible every day. It's bigger than saying some superstitious prayer so that maybe good things happen. It's about encountering the God of the universe and having your very fabric, the very fabric of your being changed forever. That's what God does. That is the power of his spirit. That's the power of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, here's, here's, this is hilarious, man. But, but my son Jackson, he's five. Um, all my illustration comes from kids because that's all we do, right? I mean, that's all, if you've got kids, you understand. That's like all we do is, is our kids. It's like, it's 24 seven children. And, and I say 24 seven, I mean 24 seven. They all wake up like every night. So it's, it's, it's 24 seven. And, but my middle son Jackson, he's five. He loves to play dress up and he's got all these superhero outfits that he puts on and then you know, he runs around the house. He's like, daddy, I'll save you. I'm like, son, like I'm good. You know, I don't really need saving. And, and, but he runs around, he loves to play dress up and sometimes his buddies come over and they'll play dress up and they'll put on superhero costumes and they'll run around the house and they'll run around the house playing. And we look at him and we're like, man, that is so cute. Look at Bill. Now, son, you really can't fly, but but he's so cute. We look at him. But listen, if you came to my house and saw them playing, you would think that's cute. If you come to my house and me and my two brother-in-laws are running around in superhero outfits, you don't call that cute. You call that sick, right? And you probably leave as quick as you possibly can. Why? Because we're adults. We don't do that. If we're like running around, you know, in our tights, that's, that's freaky. It's sick. And that's the same way that God views this dress up Christianity that we've adopted. It's sick. You know, after Jesus says this, he goes into all these different woes that he tells the Pharisees. Why? Because they're external outward religious mindset of what a relationship with God was, was sickening. And he was saying, woe to you. 
You don't know me. You're just playing dress up. My heart is, listen to me, I want you to understand, I don't want you to play dress up. I want you to know the risen Savior. I don't want you to have to go through life trying to alter your exterior because your interior is still jacked up. And, and listen, we're all jacked up. Listen, listen, listen. But what I'm talking about is your trajectory changes. You go from living for me. You go from living for, for in the world. You go to begin living for God. Why? Because God has changed your heart. And what the change that has happened on the inside is greater than the change that happens on the outside. Listen, that is the truth for every Christian in this place right now, is that the change that takes place on the inside will always be greater than the change that takes place on the outside. The outside catches up to the inside. The inside doesn't change the outside. That's what Jesus does. Our Savior came so that you and I could have life. Our evil hearts could be changed. That we could know him. You remember in 2008, in that 2008 election, Barack Obama was running against some guy from Arizona. or something. I can't remember his name. But anyway, Barack Obama. I was, I was kidding. Thanks. Y'all help, man. I worked hard on this. Y'all. <laughs> Courtesy laugh is appreciated. I mean, it might not be funny. He'd be like, ha, 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 that was stupid. But in that campaign, do you remember um, Barack Obama said a line and it got way blown out of proportion and it got run with with the other side with the Republicans. And he made the comment. He said, you can put lipstick on a pig. But it's still a pig. Does anybody remember that? And then Sarah Palin was on TV and she was talking about I can't do that accent, but she was talking about that. And and she was always like referring back to that. And the point of the thing was to say this, that you can put lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. You can dress up the outside, but it doesn't change what it is. Where the church is disillusioned, people, is we've told them, if you'll just do some of these things, if you'll do this or you'll do that or or you'll you'll clean up the outside, then you'll be acceptable. The problem is that God doesn't look at the outside. He looks at the inside. Until the inside is changed, we're still unacceptable. Until we've been covered by the sacrifice, the blood of Jesus that was shed on that, not that particular cross, but a cross. We're still unacceptable. But the moment we step by faith into that sacrifice, God sees us as he saw his son in perfection. That would be the way that God sees us. And there's not one perfect person in here today. I know that. But listen, you can put a suit on a sinner. He's still a sinner. You can put a dress on a sinner. She's still a sinner. But when God covers us with himself, with his sacrifice, with, with his love, with his grace, we go from sinner to saint. I'll tell you, that's why we celebrate today is because Jesus has done what we could not do for ourselves. Now, listen, listen, I just want to go ahead and just just kind of call it like it is. Let's be honest. There are people here today. There are people who go to church on Easter that don't go any other time. Right. I used to be one of those people. Now I kind of have to show up. So but I used to be one of those people and and I would show up at Christmas. I would show up at Easter, um, maybe. Until God got a hold of my heart, you know, and then I began to enjoy worshiping him. And this is what I want to say. I want to tell you this. I'm glad you're here. 
I am stoked, man. If you're here and you haven't been to church since Christmas, you haven't been to church since Easter, man, I am pumped that you're here today. We don't stand in condemnation. We don't stand in judgment, man. We are glad that you're here. My prayer is that you would encounter God in such an amazing way. You walk out of here deeper. In fact, that's my prayer for everybody in here. You know, we can never um, exhaust the depth and the width and the, the, the magnitude of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that today we'd all come to that place. But this is what I do want to do in the next, I got 13 minutes and 23 seconds. In those few minutes, this is what I want to do. I want to do my best to show you what Jesus did. I want to do my best to show you why we celebrate Easter, not just for people who haven't been here, but listen, for everybody in this room. I want you to get this so bad. And my prayer right now is, God, I pray that the power of your Holy Spirit would just God, it would just transform our lives right now, Jesus. God, God, I, I just believe he wants to do that in people's heart, and I want to try to paint this as clear as I can. Listen to John chapter 19, beginning in verse 28, and, and you can turn there. You can read along with me. If you like, it'll be on the screen. It says in John 19, 28, it says, Later, knowing that all was now, listen, completed, And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so he soaked it, soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus's lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want you to understand what Jesus did on the cross. The first one thing I want you to see is that Jesus overcame sin. Jesus overcame sin. You see, the law and all of these requirements, that was the perfection of God. And people have been trying to live in this perfect way to be pleasing to God, and it didn't work. And so God sent his son because he loves us so that he could become the law, so that he literally could take this law, take this perfection and live it out in himself because he knew that you and I couldn't do it. There was no possible way for us to live it. Listen, Jesus came and lived. We can't try hard enough. We can't do enough to fulfill this law, to become perfect in the eyes of God. So Jesus comes, he takes his pretty awesome I can move stone around like this and it's like I almost blew my notes away we'd be dismissed but he comes and he fulfills all of this law he comes and lives this perfect life fulfilling all the commands of God not doing away with them fulfilling them He lived it. And then listen, the one who was perfect, the one who had no sin, the one who who lived a righteous life, went to the cross and did that for us. (laughs) He did that for you. The innocent became guilty. The one who had no sin became sin so that you wouldn't have it. Anytime something becomes clean, something else has to become dirty, doesn't it? Spray something off of water that's dirty, or it's dirty, the water becomes dirty, the table becomes clean. Listen, you wipe something down with a rag, the rag becomes dirty, the table becomes clean. 
that which was clean, that had no sin, became sin so that you and I could become the righteousness of God. That ought to be something we celebrate. Praise God. That's why we do what we do on Sunday mornings. That's why we come here. Because the one who didn't deserve it took it for us. The second thing I would tell you in this, this, this scripture, when Jesus says it's completed, it means all things were completed. It mean, he says it is finished. He meant it's all finished. And the other thing that he did is he overcame death. He didn't just die on the cross. Listen, if he stops right there, you and I are still dead in our sin. If he stops right there, we got no reason to celebrate. Because there's still no life in us. But he's not dead. He is risen and he's alive. So here's, here's the awesome thing. Once the righteousness requirements of God had been lifted from us, once the righteous requirements of the law were no more, the weight of sin and death came off of our shoulders it's simply by trusting and putting our faith in Jesus so that, so that those things are lifted off. And look, there's nothing holding us down anymore. This thing comes open. This has got no hold on our lives. Thank God it's empty. Like literally, thank God it's empty. (laughs) It's empty. Sin has no weight. It has no burden. It's got nothing on you anymore. Why? Because Jesus took it to the cross. That's why we always talk about going from death to life. That's why we celebrate that. Because it is literally going from spiritual death to life in Jesus. And then we see this this sin, this, this weight, this burden has no hold on our lives anymore. Listen, listen, listen. This thing's empty. But I want you to know something. There's something else that's empty also. And I'm praying that we got a picture of this right now. There's nobody in it. The tomb is empty. I've never been there myself, but I, I have a, I, I would say a friend, but he doesn't know me. I know him. Um, it's not really a friendship. Um, <laughs> but a preacher that I follow, he actually went to Israel and he went to the garden tomb. And he said this, he said, I stuck my head in, kind of like peeking around. It almost like, he's like, is anybody in there? And, and he walks in and Jesus jumped out. He's like, boo. No, he didn't do that. But because he's not there, It's empty. The tomb is literally empty. And Jesus, when he stepped out on that Easter morning, see, this is the thing I want you to understand. When, when Jesus stepped out of that tomb, it was the biggest butt kicking that ever took place in eternity. He stepped out, kicked Satan in the mouth and said, now what you going to do, punk? Right? He stepped almost 2000 years ago today. He kicked the devil in the teeth. He knocked him out. He's got no hold on us anymore. How many of y'all ever know that you, you live in the South? We got these, these crazy redneck sayings, don't we? And many of them pertain to taking a butt whooping. Like we'll say things like this. That boy beat him like a redheaded stepchild. You know what I'm talking about? Y'all heard that one? I didn't understand that until I had two redheads. I get it now. Right? That boy beat him like a redheaded stepchild. I will say this. This is one of my favorites. 
like you go to a high school football game and after the game, somebody just destroyed the, the other one. And they're like, man, they beat the brakes off of them. You ever heard that? Are you watching a, a boxing match and, and like people, some, one guy's just beating the mess out of another guy and they're like this. They're like, man, he about beat his eyes out. Y'all heard, probably heard most of those. Maybe I'm just the only redneck in the room that has not, that's heard them all. But we say those kind of things. And I was thinking about what took place almost 2,000 years ago. And I was thinking, you know, Jesus beat Satan down like a redheaded stepchild. I mean, just wore him out. I'm telling you, man, he beat the brakes off of him. Death no longer has a hold on our lives. And he literally beat the eyes out of him. He can't stand in judgment over you and I anymore. We have been set free by the grace of Jesus and by the power of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to understand, listen to me, death has lost its sting. When we're in Christ, it no longer has any power over us. No more. When I was a little boy, I loved spending time with my granddaddy. And one of the things we would do is we'd shoot a bow and arrow into this big bale of hay. And one day I'm shooting the bow and arrow and I was actually hitting the hay for a change. And, and I'm shooting it and I look and I'm like about to go get my arrows. And I said, Pops, um, it looks like some bees flying around that bell of hay. He's like, boy, go down there and get them arrows. You know, he's like, they ain't going to hurt you. He's like old school World War II. He's like, man, I'm taking bullets. You can't even go down there and get some arrows away from some bees. And I'm like, all right, if Pop says it's cool, it's cool. So I go down there and I get up there and start to pull the arrows out of the hay. What do you think happened? Four bee stings to my back. I'm like seven years old. I'm like, ah, I'm running back. I'm like, why would you do that? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, come on. I trust you. And it stung and it hurt and it didn't feel good. And it made me afraid. But here's the awesome news that the that death, it stung, it hurt, it caused fear in our lives. But today we can celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus has been raised from the grave, that he is alive and death no longer has a sting. No longer. And fear has been removed. We don't have to fear this anymore. When we're in Christ, we have life. And not just on this planet, not just on this earth, but once we go and we're with Jesus forever, we have life. When you come to faith in Christ, you literally go from death to life. You cross the threshold from temporary to eternal existence with God. That's what he's done for us. The last thing I want to tell you today is that Jesus finished it once and for all. Once and for all. Listen to me. It says in there, it says, it is finished. It says he completed everything he was sent to do. The way I want you to walk out of here and remember what Jesus did. The thing I want you to be able to walk out of here and remember is something. And and I'm a preacher. I start things with the same letters. I'm sorry. It's what I do. And listen, it's this. It is fully finished forever. It is fully finished forever. In other words, what Jesus did was he completed it once and for all. It was fully finished. He left nothing undone, no stone unturned. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross so that you wouldn't have to, so you wouldn't have to take the wrath of God. He took it for you. It was finished. It was completed. It's done. 
and it's forever. And I want you to hear me. When you are in Christ and you're trusting Jesus for salvation, and I pray that God would make this sink into your hearts, that your past has been cleansed. Your presence, present is being preserved and your future is covered. It is fully finished forever. It's done. And when we're in Christ, we can rejoice in the fact that he did it all, that he was raised, that that tomb is empty, that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And that you and I can forever rejoice in who he is. It's finished. He did not stop short. I don't care who you are, where you've been, who you've done it with. Jesus has covered your past. You can attain the righteousness of God by trusting in what he did. I don't want you to walk out of here disillusioned. I want you to experience the power of Jesus. I don't want you to walk out of here just thinking it was another church service. I want you to experience the power of Jesus because Jesus finished it once and for all. Now you and I can come boldly before God's throne of grace. Let's pray.